0: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my brother.
1: Wesley, hi.
0: And today we are discussing adapted screenplay nominee, The Two Popes. The Two Popes. The Two Popes. The Two Popes. Netflix, a Netflix original film. Yep. Uh, I think Netflix hoped that this could be a Best Picture nominee, which it wasn't. Though I think it was nominated for a Golden Globe. It was. Um, But instead. doesn't mean anything. It's recognized for its performances and its screenplay.
1: Uh, Screenplay, I'll give it. Going to direction, Fernando Mirai, I think is how you pronounce it, Mm -hmm. uh, was a big thing. He was maybe the biggest thing for a while. Constant Gardner, he did uh, City of God, which everybody loved except me. And then he did a movie called Blindness with Julianne Moore that failed to strike a chord. It was going to be the next big thing and it didn't do particularly well. And then he disappeared from American audiences. He's Brazilian and he did a bunch of Brazilian TV and I think a couple of Brazilian films that never made it here. So with his resurgence, I was curious to see how it would, how uh, it seemed like he was taking on a comparatively much smaller movie in scope about two old dudes.
0: Were any of those so old? Were any of those movies box office successes?
1: Uh, City of God was a critical darling at the time. I think it may have been the highest reviewed movie of all time, something like that. This might have predated Rotten Tomatoes. I saw it on the strength of the critic uh, critical reception alone, and was disappointed, as maybe one is invariably when they see movies because everyone loves it and you're looking for flaws. Uh, Constant Gardener, despite having one of the worst titles in movie history, was pretty good.
0: Refines. Uh huh. It was a Fines brother.
1: It was fi- it was Rafe Fines and I don't think they're brothers. Joe and, and Rafe, I don't think are related at all. For real? Yep. And I think that one had uh, Ray- Rachel Weisz, who's married to James Bond now. So uh, Two Popes, written by Anthony McCartan, uh, he has a lot of credits to his name. Theory of Everything was a critical darling. Oh, my God. No? Okay, that we'll do, that's not the movie we're reviewing. Uh, darkest Hour, where if we are underground, we we talked about Darkest Hour in the scope of uh, 1917. R- World War II being uh, in, entirely in a bunker, in right. an underground bunker with Winston Churchill. Another uh, old dude. Was enjoyable, also wrote Bohemian Rhapsody. So, um, yeah, The Two Popes has a few strengths to run on, and maybe the screenplay might be one of them and how you're gonna make compelling the t- two of the oldest dudes ever in arguably one of the lar- two of the largest roles in history, um, how you can make that compelling when they're talking about basil and, and flowers and shit. Um, and then you have heavyweights. You have uh, Anthony Hopkins, right. who was Pope Jeff,
0: Benedict the something. Right.
1: And then Jonathan Price, who I really like, who apparently looks so much like Pope Francis. Francis. That when Pope Francis was elected Pope, <laughs> Jonathan Price's son called him and said, daddy, are you the Pope? So strange in a way that he was cast because of his uncanny resemblance to the Pope in the same way that Tina Fey was a shoe in to play. What's her crazy from Alaska? Yeah. Um, but he also brings a lot of acting chops, uh, a lot of experience to the role. And I thought did a great job. Uh, he, of course, uh, was the captain man in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh. Yeah, he was uh, Elizabeth Swann's father. Oh. For the first three cap- uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, yeah. But that's not exactly what Jonathan Price should be remembered for. In uh, The Two Popes, I think he did an admirable job as Pope... Francis. Frank. And uh, look, no disrespect. In, in thinking about this movie again for review, um, I'm not a Catholic, but I've come to understand how important this role is the role of pope to so many people to the world to the to a lot of the world that said there's always been a weird disconnect because the pope as as uh, tony hopkins puts it is the physical embodiment of jesus christ in the church in the eyes of the catholic church and the catholic populace that's a strange position especially when you're you know jeff in the honda Civic rolling around and and you're trying to do good work as a cardinal whatever and then all of a sudden you're the pope and you're the god man right i saw a clip where pope francis who succeeded pope benedict benedict um was speaking to a boy who lost his father and the boy couldn't speak into the microphone went up to him and asked him uh you know face to face if his daddy was in heaven and then he asked the boy's permission to, uh, to tell the crowd what was happening. Because the, the boy's father was a non-believer and he was, the boy was worried that he had an illness and died and, and repented on his deathbed and, and converted or whatever and was worried that he didn't go to heaven. And it just reminded me how this entity, how the Pope as a figure is viewed by the world. And to discount that role would be... A shame. The point being, these were human characters in a human movie about a role that, to my eyes, had seemed superhuman in the eyes of other people. Does that make sense? The idea that the Pope is a larger-than-life figure, is the embodiment of God, and you're cast into that role from just being a, a guy. Just being a dude who, once you find yourself in the papacy, realize that you can't do it. Anthony Hopkins played Pope Jerry. Benedict. Benedict. Um, and couldn't do it anymore. He, his reign... His reign? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the verbiage is failing us. It
1: la- he, uh, his, his, his...
0: Yeah, I don't know, reign. Uh, his,
1: uh, his tenure as Pope lasted seven years. Uh, he retired citing uh, physical weakness and age. Uh, ten years on, he's in his 90s now and is still trucking along, so I guess, you know, whatever. But in the movie, they made no mention of that. Um, Benedict's character said that he could not wear the robe anymore and that he had to pass the torch for his own good. And, of course, we had Jonathan Price's reluctant um, Bergoglio hesitant to take the reins because I'm not sure how factual it was, but he was prepared to leave. So I went into this movie with no anticipation at all. Um, Netflix doesn't have to make movies that cater to a... Specific to, to a massive audience They're not worried about box office numbers right. They don't have to worry about distribution They have a crazy amount of money that they can pour Into any movie that they want And people watch it or they don't And they're hoping to find enough of an audience to make it successful And to make their impact felt uh, Critically The Two Popes, I wouldn't have thought Would have been made I can see why The Irishman got made You have a lot of cachet and a lot of history With Martin Scorsese and the gangster movies The movie about the Two Popes um, Strange Um, deceptively large in scope. Uh, A lot of green screen was used. I mean, it's not like they went to Rome and were were talking on the balcony. Massive crowd scenes, de-aging for the characters. Uh, We went into Bergoglio's uh, history and his past. Uh, He's a divisive figure pertaining to his association with the military in Buenos Aires. Yeah,
0: the regime that was... Not
1: good. Right. So when he comes to Rome and is in the position where he now has to represent for all people, a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, When this movie was screened in Buenos Aires, uh, the reception the filmmakers received was one of uh, gratitude, that his history wasn't glossed over, that their grievances were heard, and that if he was going to be Pope, at least he was accurately represented in this movie. Now, accuracy is something that this movie strives for, but in kind of a vacuum. We, we do know that the two popes met three times before the transition of power, and beyond that, almost nothing is known about their relationship, whether or not they had a friendship. We can infer based on things that they've said, uh, personality traits from their histories, what we do know of them. We're sort of fascinated by people um, before they become famous,
0: so do you think that this screenplay is based on speculation?
1: Pure conjecture. Well, really? uh, there's a very loose framework. But yes, this is, and I made a point of, of checking again, it was inspired by the true story of, of the two popes and their interactions. We know what happened, uh, the dates and when they were chosen, but we don't know what happened in closed quarters.
0: Man, I felt like the writer had a microphone in the Sistine Chapel and like transcribed this into his screenplay, because Anthony McCartan's script is like so believable. And I think that the intention of the film was to humanize the the papacy. And from what I hear from you, it was a total success.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that I think the humanization of the papacy is a double-edged sword. In one respect. Of course, obviously, these two men are human, and they have things that they love and they don't love and, they love, and one of them loves the Beatles, and they both love the Beatles, and they both love pizza. There are people that have to walk through life being aware of their surroundings and, and how they are received by people and, and have to be very careful. Friendship must be difficult. Actual friendship must be hard to find. On the other hand, the humanization of the Pope and the fallibility of the body that elects the Pope was strange for me. Um, not being a devout follower of the Pope, I was—I always sort of viewed him as being holier than now, and and the sort of entity that was chosen by God, uh, as Kim Jong Un seems to think he is. But the opposite is true. Um, there's a body who laboriously elects. The Pope and and they play with the they, they play with the marbles in the bowl and they sew the letters or whatever together and then the Pope is chosen, um, but he is elected in the same way that any official is elected. But once he's elected, he transcends to this sort of larger than life embodiment of Jesus Christ, which is strange to me. That said, if I'm going to watch the movie, it's I don't want it to be about two holier than thou uh, men uh, trying to decide who is holier. Right. You know. Um, so on that level, I think the movie was effective in examining their friendship. Uh, I thought it was the Beatles uh, as as a means of communication and uh, identification was a, 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 an interesting choice. The Beatles, of course, John Lennon came under fire for saying that the Beatles at one point were were, a lot, were bigger than God, mm. bigger than Jesus. Mm. Uh, in a way, though, the Pope's were the Pope is like a member of the Beatles, is viewed as larger than life, almost mythical. Um, People would never understand why any of the Beatles would want to leave the group or why uh, Pope Greg would want to leave the papacy, right? he The idea of him stepping down is inconceivable. He is the manifestation of God. Why would the Beatles ever want to do anything other than the Beatles? They're idolized in that way. It was interesting.
0: It was interesting. It was super interesting. Going into this film, I couldn't think that two old dudes talking in multiple rooms could be effective or compelling to me. And somehow, it really was. And I felt like the filmmakers were so confident and crafted this film so deftly that they didn't feel like they had to pull punches. There wasn't a villain with knitted brows lurking behind the corner. The villain, if anyone, or anything rather, was doubt. And these two men struggling with it kind of together, or at least on their own terms, but being open and honest about it. I mean, it was so simple and yet so
1: compelling. There were simple elements, for sure, the conversation between these two, but we also had a sweeping backstory for Bergoglio. Sometimes I wondered if that needed to be so immersive Hmm. to be effective, Mm -hmm. whereas if uh, Anthony Hopkins' character had just said, you know, I understand you've had a lot of trouble. I understand why you're hesitant to take up this mantle uh, because of your history, you know, with blah, 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 and the Pope, they would discuss it. But no, we got detailed recreations and de-aging of Jonathan Price's character, and a younger actor portraying him, and even a romance. So. Was his all? Was his detailed backstory? Because we're talking about filling up a two-hour runtime here. Was it necessary and effective? Would this have been a lesser movie without the great pains they went to to recreate his his history?
0: Probably. It's funny though. It's definitely not the point of the film.
1: It's a lot of expense and trouble that they went through to make it convincing, and yet we got nothing whatsoever about Ratzinger's life.
0: Right. Which is why Anthony Hopkins' character is nominated for supporting. Whereas Jonathan Price is
1: Look, sure. I, I got my my reservations. I have my issues with Anthony Hopkins. I think he's a fine actor. Nobody can can question his ability to play roles that stand out or stand withstand the test of time. But the dude also does it for the money. Not to say that he's not dedicated to his craft, but all I saw was Anthony Hopkins. But Anthony Hopkins wasn't the focus of this movie for me. Yeah. It was all about Jonathan Price. and I think rightfully so, as he was the emerging pope or the pope to be. Mm. Um, one other thing I want to get to, though, is the visual stylistic choices that this movie made. I think you're right. They could have pulled a lot more punches in order to make a, a, a dialogue between two old dudes compelling and convincing. Mm-hmm. And they didn't a lot of the time. There's a lot of restraint in this movie. There's a lot of patience. There's a lot of side talking where they're trying to skirt uh, obvious issues about uh, the Price character wanting to resign, Mm -hmm. about the Bergoglio character wanting to resign. Um, And we're finding our way into this friendship. At the same time, the camera work was kind of inconsistent for me. Did you note this? There were times where they would pull like a wild rack focus and it was like the camera was restless or bored, and the guy was, or the, the operator was trying to make it interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, there were jump cuts, for ve- sure. Very unique camera tricks for a movie of this type, I think. And to me, it was more distracting than anything. I thought, how compelling can you make it? But as you said, the, the screenplay did a great job of making it compelling where I ordinarily wouldn't have been interested in a movie of this type. Frankly, I watched this movie because it got uh, attention from the uh, Golden Globes, which don't mean anything, and the fact that we were going to review it as a Best Picture nominee. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen it. I'm glad that I did, but there were also some weird tricks that were used to try to... to to bump it up, they weren't as obvious as they might have been in some other movies, Mm -hmm. but definitely some strange choices and they went down some strange avenues as only Netflix could do with all the money in the world and no accountability to anyone.
0: This movie is effective like a documentary is effective. A documentary I think is ultimately effective if it shows you a part of humanity, part of the world that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. And you get deep, deep into that, and, you know whether it's somebody else, another way of living or um, you know something intimate about another person's life. And I think that um, hearing your context on this film is interesting because I kind of took everything I saw as truth and as a transcription of what actually happened. and to think that it was fictionalized, to think that it was crafted to be entertaining, is really fascinating to me because I was so, I bought in. I felt like I was watching a documentary.
1: Best kind of movies, right? The idea where the suspension of disbelief is convincing enough that you drop any idea that you're watching a movie and you feel like you're watching real life.
0: Yeah, I felt like we were a fly on the wall in this very, very intimate, very human conversation. I don't know, I was surprised. I was surprised that two two poops, (laughs) I was was surprised I gave two poops about two popes.
1: Yeah. This movie is all right. I don't know that it's a must-see. It's on Netflix so you'll be able to watch it forever. Yep. I don't know if you need to see it ahead of the the Academy Awards, certainly in this case, but um, an interesting experiment by Netflix. Uh, I like the freedom that they have to explore the movie making space they yeah. can do whatever they want and in in a world where major studios are looking to recoup their their budget three to four times over in order to get into the black i don't know that the two popes ever would have been made right it would have been a destined for netflix documentary but instead we got this movie with good performances with certainly with good writing uh some questionable cam- camera work but there you have it we have a different this is a new era Uh, filmmaking Um, and there's hope there yeah Netflix is very good at what they do
0: so there you have it that's our discussion on two popes all right movie from Wes surprisingly good movie from Iris and we'd love to hear what you have to say will you email us or whatever movies at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail about whatever at 818-835-0473 we'd like to hear from you thank you for listening Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan, And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are